could stand with me, we're going to read um, Ephesians, the first verse. It says this, Paul, an apostle, apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us this word, this letter from a, a, a saint, an apostle Paul, to this church in Ephesus. And Lord, we pray that these words, the meditations of our own heart as we think about them, would be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our Lord and our rock, and we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Let me tell you a quick story. This is uh, from my high school days, a week-long trip. It was my first Christian retreat, and I, at the time, my dad was stationed in the, in the Air Force. We were stationed in Ramstein, Germany, and this, it was over spring break. We, as a bunch of high schoolers, got to take a bus all the way down to Spain and spend a week on the Mediterranean coast uh, all day. We had a free days, and they had activities for us, and then at night, there'd be beautiful times and songs of praise, and then these wonderful messages for high schoolers, and it was six days, and so my youth pastor decided uh, he was going to invite some guys, and I was one of them, to be a part of this six-week, or uh, six-day study, one, one day a week, and the book of Ephesians is six chapters, so we had to get up really early in the morning. It was like 9 a.m. And uh, <laughs> I mean, for a high schooler on, on spring break, that was pretty early. And, and I and a couple other guys sat down with our youth pastor. And for at least for me, like I can remember this moment being the first time I had ever studied the Bible. I had certainly read the Bible. I'd certainly been to a church a lot before that. But this was the first time I, I was invited and to study the Bible for the first time. And that set me on a trajectory because I fell in love with studying the Bible and this book of Ephesians, which we're, that's the series we're in now, is a talk about the book of Ephesians. It set me on a course, the studying of Ephesians, that I would fall in love with studying the Bible. I would then, uh, uh, in college... I would lead a Bible study. After college, I, I thought, I want to study the Bible some more. I went to seminary. I went on to get my doctorate. And I came to New Life back in 2004. And for about 12 years, taught uh, a Sunday school for our college and our young adults. And we would always, in a good way, refer to ourselves as the nerds of New Life. And we'd come together and we would study, like honestly, at a college or a post-college level, we would study scripture. And it was awesome. It was a big part of my life. And I think back to that first Bible study I ever went to at early in the morning, 9 a.m., <laughs> on this coast of the Mediterranean Sea overlooking uh, the Mediterranean. And Ephesus sits on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean a little further away. But there I was just falling in love with Scripture and for years and years teaching uh, the Mill Sunday School or the College and Young Adult Sunday School. And every week we would go in depth and we'd call ourselves the, the nerds. And every Sunday we'd have like a really nerdy time and it would say, all right, this, this Sunday uh, at this time we're going to do the nerd alert. And everyone just knew to make a siren noise, like an alert noise. And so I thought we could try that just for old time's sake. So nerd alert. <laughs> that sounded like a dying elephant. Um, 
but well done. It was nice and loud. So this, today's Nerd Alert br brings us to the, the very basis of what hermeneutics and exegesis is. And, and to do these things well, to, to start studying a book, we should look at this phrase, which is the first point of my notes, that the Bible was not written to you. And sometimes I would just leave that statement up there and let people be like, whoa, what do you mean the Bible's not written to us? You, what are you saying? What do you mean by that? Um, but, I, but I thought to not to shock you, I would, I would finish the rest and, and put the other sentence and say, but the Bible was written for you. In this book, uh, I'm not giving you a trick question, the book of uh, Ephesians is written to? The Ephesians. the Ephesians, the people in Ephesus. It's not a trick question. Is it written to us in Manitou Springs 2017? Well, technically it's not written to us, it's written to the Ephesians. But of course it is for us. We can read these words as scripture and we should interpret them through the lens of who wrote it, when was it written, written to whom was it written to, and this is what hermeneutics and exegesis is all about. If you've heard these words, these are like college Bible, Bible college terms, and they're very important words. You've probably heard messages th thinking through things like, well, well we're going to interpret this through the lens of to whom it was written to and who wrote the book, and that is doing good exegesis and good hermeneutics. So the author here is Paul, and he writes uh, things that, that, that makes sense to the Ephesians, and we looking in need to interpret it through those lenses. We're going to talk a little bit about the author, the audience, the genre uh, the, 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 of this book, which is a letter. And so let's uh, go right to the next point, which is an introduction to the book of Ephesians. We'll take just a second here and say that this book is a letter from Paul to the, the people living in Ephesus, the, to the believers there. And Paul uh, writes the majority of the New Testament, lots of letters. Uh, a fancy Greek word for that is epistle, if you've ever heard that term. That's what it means, a letter. And this book is one of the prison epistles. So Paul writes it from prison back to the churches in Ephesus. And he writes it, uh, and it's, it's one of these books that is unlike other books that Paul writes because Paul is less personal. Uh, in other books of the Bible that Paul writes, he is often very personal. He writes to specific people. He names them by name. He names situations going on. He often rebukes people. He often encourages people. Write in the letter, names them by name. And in this letter, the only person that is named is a guy named Titicus at the very end of the book. But besides that, it's, it's a letter that he writes towards the end of his life, and it's really a general letter to all these churches meeting in Ephesus, and it makes it uh, a dream for pastors to preach from because it's so open, because it's so, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't name specific people or specific situations. It's a very general book for general believers that, like us living in Manitou in 2017. This is scripture to us. Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. If you want to write this down and look at it later, 2 Peter 3.16, 2 Peter 3.16 is where Peter himself refers to Paul's letters as other scripture. So make no mistake about it. We are referring to this book as scripture. It is a letter written a long time ago to another group of people, to believers. But we have said as Christians and Christ followers, it has been canonized. And we've said, this is scripture. This is from the apostle, the saint, Paul, to the Ephesians. And we can look at this letter and understand God's word for us for today. So we are going to look at specifically Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 in the course of this series that we'll be doing in the next couple weeks. There's very famous passages in Ephesians, like uh, Ephesians 2, 8, which says, uh, many of you probably know it, for it is by 
grace, that you've been saved. There's wonderful passage in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 4, 11 has the fivefold ministry. Maybe you've heard of that before. That in Christ himself, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we often look at that as like, these are roles within the church. And this is how we can model things after. Ephesians 5 is one of the uh, favorite passages I've often read at weddings. It says, to husbands and wives... Uh, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife and, and treat your wife like Christ does the church. And I always make a joke. It says, wives, all you have to do is, uh, is love your husbands. Husbands, all you have to do is be just like Jesus. And, and, and so that's a good challenge for the young groom. But let's introduce, let's move right along as we're introducing the book of Ephesians. Let's talk a little bit about this guy who wrote the book. His name is Paul. So let's introduce Paul to you very quickly. He was born in about 5 AD. He was born in a Jewish family. Somehow he had Jewish citizenship, which becomes a big deal when he gets in trouble for proclaiming Christ and preaching the resurrection. That's not allowed in, in, in the Roman Empire, and, and they want to kill him right then and there. But he, he, he says a couple times, like, I'm a citizen of Rome. You can't do this to me. And they're like, whoa, I didn't know you were a citizen of Rome. So probably from his father's side, his father was a citizen of Rome. That's how he got citizenship. He was born, uh, his, his original name wasn't Paul, it was Saul, and he was Paul of Tarsus, which is this little city in what is today Turkey, which I already told you, my dad was in the Air Force, uh, and when I was uh, in my mom's belly, uh, they were stationed in Turkey, and I was born in an Air Force base in Turkey, so I was born just 20 miles from where Paul was born, so we have a lot in common. We used to hang out together. Um, <laughs> Just kidding, by the way. It's about 2,000 years that separate us. But anyways, he is not just a Jew, but he is a Pharisee. He says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's his very own words in the book of Acts. And he is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. So he's Jewish. He's not Christian yet. And we have this wonderful conversion story. If you've never read it in the book of Acts, flip through the book of Acts and, and read the first uh, couple chapters and, and to where it gets to Paul. Because Paul was present. One of the first chapters, it says that, that one of the guys named Stephen was stoned to death for being a believer. Paul was right there. And he goes to this other city, Damascus, to kill and to persecute more Christians. And while he is there, while he's on his way, a vision of the resurrected Lord Jesus Jesus appears to him, and he falls down, and there's this great light and vision. He goes blind, and he becomes a believer, a very strong believer, uh, one of the believers of believers who will write the majority of the New Testament for us. He's converted in a miraculous, powerful way. And then his name gets changed from Saul to Paul. And we all know that story. I had a Greek professor that really made the point that that really wasn't a big deal that he changed his, his name. He's like, well, it wasn't really that big of a deal. He said that when, uh, when someone would, would go into a different area, like when Saul would go to a Greek-speaking world, they didn't really know the name Saul. They knew the name Paulos, so they would call him Paulos. And he said, he made a point of me. He said, if I, Joe, my, that's my name, if I went to Mexico and became a missionary and lived there for years, I probably wouldn't go by the name Joe. I would go by the name Jose, and he made the point that it wasn't that big of a deal that his name was changed. But whatever the case, it is a huge deal that he was converted. Make no mistake about that. It was a huge conversion from someone persecuting Christians to someone who becomes one of the best, most well-known writers of the New Testament and well-known missionaries the world has ever known. He has three missionary journeys, and then he gets a trip to Rome. Uh, and some people call that a missionary journey as well, his fourth missionary journey. 
but, but really he was taken from uh, Jerusalem to Rome to go to prison. And so even though he was making disciples along the way, some people say, well, that's, that's good enough. That's another missionary journey, even though he's being taken there uh, against his will. But on his second and third missionary journeys, he goes through this city called Ephesus, and we're going to look at his third missionary journey in the book of Acts in just a second. But here is a map. If you could put up the map of... Um, so there you see Rome at the top left and the, 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 the cowboy boot of Italy. And then you see Athens and Corinth. And then to the right, you see the, the providence of Asia, which is today Turkey. And then Ephesus sits right on the coast right there. In fact, let's talk a little bit about uh, as we introduce uh, Ephesus, we will we'll, we'll look and say this, this was just fascinating to me that Back in the day when Paul lived, Ephesus was a port city. It was right on the coast of the Mediterranean, and there's a river that runs pretty close there. And because of silting, 2,000 years of silting, Ephesus now sits three miles inland. And so that, that was kind of interesting to me, just geographically speaking. So the story is included in the book of Acts for us to look at when Paul goes to Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, it says this. While Apollos was at Corinth, now Paul and, Paul, uh, Paul and Apollos were missionary friends traveling the world together and, and, and talking to people about who Jesus is. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So you can see back on the map, so uh, uh, there's Corinth right here. If I could point, I can't point because the, anyways. Um, I need a laser pointer next time. Uh, so there's Corinth. You can see it for yourself. And Paul, instead of just going straight across to Ephesus, it says in the book of Acts that he went all the way around through the interior to get to Ephesus. And that's like what the things that happened on that journey are not included. It's just like one little sentence. He gets to Ephesus and he meets 12 dudes, 12 disciples. And he begins talking to them and realizes that they don't really know about Jesus. They don't really know about the Holy Spirit. Paul finds them. It says they're disciples. Paul says, Have you been, do you know the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, then what in the world, are, you know, whose name are you baptized in? And they say, maybe you know the story, they say, we were baptized in the, into John's baptism. And Paul says, well, that, that's a baptism of repentance. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so he baptizes them in the name of Jesus Christ. He lays, their, lays hands on them, and they begin uh, evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which in this case, in this scenario in Ephesus, they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so that's like quite an awesome beginning to a ministry in a new place. Twelve new believers right off the bat. And then verse 8 of Acts chapter 19 says this. So in Ephesus, Paul enters the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. So we know Paul was a Jewish person. And he knew how to speak to Jewish people because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he goes to what he knows. He goes to the synagogue and speaks boldly there for three months. It's quite a long time. It says he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And the way, was refer that's referring to these, these first century believers, the Christians. Then it says this, so Paul left them, he took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. So he goes from the synagogue to every single day having discussions in a lecture hall at a public, public place. Verse 10 says this, this went on for two years, so two years he's doing this, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the providence of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
Skipping ahead to verse 17, it says this. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of the number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So people practicing sorcery were converted by Paul's message, and they bring their scrolls all together, and they burn them. And it says that when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Does anybody know how much that is? That's a lot of money. A couple million dollars is, is probably, it has to do with day's wages and like 50,000 day's wages. We're talking about a ton of money here, a few million dollars. And verse 20 says, in this way, the, world, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So here we have Paul being Paul. He's just holding discussions every single day, it says, for a couple years and the world around him begins to change. People hear the word of the Lord through Paul and become believers. And, and there was this temple there, the Temple of Artemis. Maybe you've heard of it. It was a big ancient wonder of the world. Uh, the t- Artemis is this god of fertility and, and hunting and, and the outdoors and nature. And it says this. So verse 23 says, about, the time, uh, about that time arose a great disturbance about the way, the ways the believers at that time. A silversmith named Demetrius, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And he called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that, that we have received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people in Ephesus and practically the whole providence of Asia. So what was Paul doing? So once again, in a public place, he was just holding discussions every day in the world around Paul. Ephesus and the whole, it says here, like someone speaking badly about him, like all these people are believing in what Paul is saying. And he says that God, so this is what Paul says, and it's true. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger to our, not only to our trade that it will lose its name, but all to, also to the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And we know from ch- history that that temple was taken down, and guess what sits there now? A church. Um, so we know, that, and this actually becomes true, that the goddess of Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess her, who herself, who is worshipped through the providence of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. That's exactly what happens. No one talks about Artemis anymore. But people today all over the world are still talking about the God Paul was speaking about, the God of the resurrection, Jesus Christ, the one who has come for us and to free us from our sins. So looking at this story, we're looking here at the book of Acts and where Paul goes to Ephesus and has this wonderful ministry. What does he do there? Because the whole city is changed. People often talk about the city of Manitou, and it's known for lots of different things. It's, it's known for some good things. It's known for some bad things. It's, it's known for a bunch of hippies coming here, and sometimes hippies stay. It's known for drug use. It's known for artwork. It's known for tourists. It's known for lots of bars. It's, it's known for having a mystique of darkness, and it's known, I think a lot of people would just say they're very spiritual here. People are spiritual in Manitou. And what would it take, people often ask me, well, you know, what would, what would it take for Manitou to not be known for some of those things and to be known for the things of God? And my response, at least looking at this passage and how Ephesus, uh, Paul, how he goes to Ephesus, is that he's faithful for a long time. Faithfulness changed the city of Ephesus. That's, that's the, the point here, the sermon. It's the final point, that faithfulness changed 
the city of Ephesus. Paul does the right things for the right reasons every day for quite a few years, and the whole world has changed, starting in Ephesus and going on to the providence of Asia. And, and think about Paul. We, we know from other passages that Paul wasn't a full-time missionary. Well, he was in some senses, but then in other senses, he had a trade. So Paul worked as a tent maker. And, and tents back then, tents today are made of like nylon and ripstop and, and Gore-Tex, whatever. Uh, tents back then, do you know what they're made of? Leather. And so Paul was a leather worker, and he would make tents that, that not just people would use to go camping, but people in the middle class to lower class, they would live in tents. That's what people lived in. So Paul would be uh, making tents, I imagine, all day, every day. Um, and then at night, he would be preaching. And that's what Paul did. It's like he, he, would, he would work all day, he would work hard with his hands, and then at night, he would preach, and he would teach, and he would just lead discussions in a public place. And the whole world is changed by him devoutly being faithful to that. There's other passages that say that Paul wasn't even a very good speaker. There's, he even says himself in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10, he says that people say about him that his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person... <laughs> In person, he is unimpressive, and, and his speaking amounts to nothing. So he wasn't a very good speaker. He was a good letter writer, and we still have his letters today, but in person, he wasn't a very good speaker. In fact, one time he's speaking in the book of Acts, and someone is listening to him, and they happen to be sitting on a window seal, and they fall asleep listening to Paul. So he wasn't a very good speaker, but he was faithful. And that's huge. That's really what it takes for a, a place to change is, is faithfulness to God, living out every day, doing the right thing for the right reasons every day for a long time. That is what's going to lead to some wonderful change and transformation considering like the city of Manitou. I think sometimes people think what we need is like a big uh, like revival or something. And I've been to big revivals. Back, I lived in Florida for a couple summers, and I got to help with a, a really big revival that went through there, and it saw thousands and thousands of people for two nights, and hundreds of people came to know the Lord. But what I know from that, as, a, as someone working and helping and volunteering, was it took a, a, just about a year before that revival happened, of phone calls being made, people praying, people faithfully asking the Lord to do this great work and, and, and calling uh, this, this revival meeting for just two nights. So oftentimes, I think in our heads, we think, oh, if, if there's going to be a big change, there needs to be a one big event. And, and if this is the case, if this is how the Lord worked, at least in Ephesus, this may be how he's working today. In the small, faithful movements, day to day, people living and following God, and that will lead to wonderful change. And so maybe we'll look up in a couple of years from now, and maybe there'll be less psychics in Manitou. I don't know. Maybe there'll be less bars. I think, you know, it'd be really cool if a bunch of people got saved and drug dealers started coming into us saying, like, hey, man, stop preaching because our drug dealing business, is, we're going out of business, man. It's like, what? Like, that's the kind of change that we would hope for any city. People coming to the Lord, people getting baptized. Next week, we're going to do a baptism service, and Dominique and, and Rachel, wherever she is, they're getting baptized. If you would like to be baptized too. It's, it's a wonderful um, 
tradition, a symbol, a mystery of, of joining the community of Christ, that when you go down in the water, you're dying to your, to your old self and being raised back, just like Christ was in the grave and then came out of the grave, this resurrection that we get to celebrate in your life. And that's, that's what we would love to see in Manitou, people's lives being changed, people coming to God, and, and how that looks exactly, I'm not sure, but how that looks today, I do know. It's, it's faithful people being faithful in the ways and things of God day to day that will lead to a great change just like it happened thousands of years ago in Ephesus with a faithful guy named Paul. And how are we going to do this? Well, we keep talking about there's some, some big things that we talk about as a congregation. And one is our uh, Micah 6.8, this verse that we have uh, taken on as, as a verse of like, here's how we're going to do ministry in Manitou. We're going to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And that's the thing is like, well, how, you know, what are we going to do? How, what, what, is, what does that really look like? Well, it's going to look like acting humbly. And it's going to look like loving mercy and, and, and being just in all of our ways. And then as a, as a motto, we keep talking about worship, connect, serve. That as New Lifers, that is our, our motto, the way in which we will do ministries that we really value worshiping the Lord. So every Sunday... We worship the Lord with songs on Tuesday nights. We worship the Lord with, with songs and with praises and saying psalms, and we think that's really important. That's part of being faithful day to day and week to week. And then we really value connecting. So we have a women's group that they, they're going to meet this Thursday, and they're going to talk, and, and there's more information about that. So it's kind of like I'm making announcements now, but it's like we really value connecting, and we really value the, our men. So the men's has a group, and next week we're going fishing together as a group. There's information about it if you can find Craig, the guy who spoke, or me. But, but why am I announcing that? Well, because we really value connecting with one another. We worship, connect, and we serve. So yesterday, uh, there was just a few of us because the weather was so bad, but, but we came out to an Apaso County uh, kind of a... I guess it's just a group of people that wanted to clean Manitou. So we went up and down the creek cleaning uh, Manitou Creek. We just serve the city. It's, it's a small gesture to, to get out and to serve. Every Wednesday, we serve at a pantry. We feed people. They come by. We get food, and we give them fresh produce, good, healthy food, and we feed them. And it's wonderful. It's a way in which our church serves day to day. It's a way in which we will remain faithful in the land. So let me read for us a scripture as I, I close. It's Ephesians 1, it's verse 18, and it says this. It's, it's Paul telling us to, to be faithful, that our eyes might be open. It says this, Ephesians 1, 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people. And his incomparable great power for us who believe that same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So what power? The power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And to every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for us, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, we thank you that, that we are living in the power of the resurrection. 
that is the same power that, that you, the Father, rose the Son, and, and, and you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are all one, and there's a great mystery here of, of how that is, the God we worship, how you are three and one. But the same power that rise Christ from the dead also is living in us, that we might have the resurrection power to overcome sin, to walk with God, to be faithful stewards uh, of the goodness and truth that you have put inside of us, that we, through faithfulness and just doing good things and right things every day for the right reason for a long time, we might see some of these wonderful, beautiful stories of people coming to you and, and lives being changed and even a city being transformed because of you, Lord, and your faithfulness inside of us. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you are good and you are awesome and you are our God. And we praise you, and it's in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me? We're going to say together uh, a prayer that we do each week. It's a prayer of confession that we come before the Lord asking him for mercy. And he is faithful to give us mercy. So let's say this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.